Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Stacy Castor, also known as the Black Widow. But first, your true crime headlines. A Texas man with a violent history allegedly murdered his wife and stored her body in a garage freezer for eight days before killing himself, according to police. 66-year-old Edward Rogers confessed to a friend that he had murdered his wife and showed him her body stuffed into a freezer in his garage. He told the friend that he intended to write some goodbye letters and take his own life. The friend tipped off police, who searched his home and found Rogers dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. They also found the body of a young woman believed to be Rogers' estranged wife. In June, Edward Rogers pleaded guilty to choking his wife Alyssa and threatening her with a knife. He was due to be sentenced in August. Alyssa Rogers was 24 years old, and the couple shared a young son. Fearing that her husband might get violent, she sent her son to her native Philippines to stay with her family there. While police have not released any information about her death, family members of Rogers told reporters that she had been in the freezer for eight days before police discovered her body. Edward Rogers was accused of murder 15 years ago after stabbing a co-worker in the chest at a pool party in 2004. After the jury deadlocked in that trial, Rogers pleaded guilty and accepted a sentence of eight years probation. A 71-year-old Lyft driver was shot and killed on his 52nd wedding anniversary, and police in Phoenix are searching for clues. Harris Treadwell was driving for the rideshare company when he was struck by gunfire. Police believe the shooter was outside of Treadwell's vehicle, and police and Lyft confirm that he did not have a passenger at the time of the shooting. According to a GoFundMe post on behalf of Treadwell's wife, Frances, the couple had spoken on the phone just before the incident and wished each other a happy anniversary. In a Facebook post made by Frances Treadwell, she expressed her gratitude for that final conversation and her opportunity to tell her husband that she loved him. Police have no suspects and the investigation is ongoing. Prosecutors in New York have declined to pursue a grand jury indictment pending further investigation in the case of Juan Rodriguez, who was charged with manslaughter for the hot car deaths of his twin babies. Rodriguez, an Iraq War veteran and social worker, dropped off his three-year-old son at a daycare and then drove to his job at a Bronx Veterans Affairs Hospital. He worked an eight-hour shift, then returned to his car and drove for about two blocks before realizing that his one-year-old twins, Luna and Phoenix, were still trapped in their rear-facing car seats and were unconscious and unresponsive. The children were pronounced dead at the scene. The medical examiner later determined that their body temperature was 108 degrees at the time of their death. Temperatures in the Bronx that day were in the high 80s, on an 86-degree day, it takes just 20 minutes for the temperature inside a car to increase by up to 20 degrees. Rodriguez was immediately charged with manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide, to which he pleaded not guilty. His wife, Marissa, is standing by her husband, calling the deaths a horrific accident 
and calling him a great father and a good person who would never intentionally hurt their children. The couple have three other children aged 4, 12, and 16. According to the National Safety Council, each year, an average of 38 people die of heat stroke after being left in a vehicle. 87% of those are under the age of three. So far in 2019, there have been 24 hot car deaths nationwide, all involving children under the age of five. The majority of these occur by accident, with about half being the result of a parent forgetting a child, as in this case. Consequences for those parents vary greatly, with some facing no charges and others charged with felonies. Bronx District Attorney Darcel Clark has not commented on why her office moved so quickly to file the charges in this case. Rodriguez is due back in court on August 27th to learn if a grand jury will be convened. A 27-year-old Austrian woman was able to convince her kidnapper to set her free after she complimented his orchids. Natalie Burley, a competitive triathlete, was out for a training ride on her bike when a man struck her with his car. The resulting fall fractured her arm, and the man got out of the car and knocked her unconscious with a piece of wood. When she awoke, she was naked and tied to an armchair. Burley recounted her harrowing tale to an Austrian newspaper, saying that the man tried to suffocate her and drown her in a bathtub, and that in a quiet moment, when he was not beating and threatening her, she complimented him on the beautiful orchids that she saw growing around the house. She said that his demeanor changed almost instantly, and he began telling her about how he keeps them healthy. She says that he went on to tell her about his troubled family history, the ex-girlfriends who had scorned and rejected him, and the problems in his life that made him so angry. Burley told her captor that she was a new mother with a 14-week-old son at home. She begged him to spare her life and set her free so that her baby could grow up with his mother. She suggested that they concoct a story, saying that a deer had run out in front of her and that he had found her injured and brought her home. Her kidnapper agreed to this story, returning her and her mangled bike to her house. Once she was safely home, Burley contacted the police. They were able to use the GPS tracker on her bike to locate her kidnapper, who was then arrested. In accordance with Austrian privacy laws, the kidnapper has not been identified. He pleaded guilty, but offered no clear motive for the attack. Natalie Burley is recovering from her injuries and is at home with her family. Those are your true crime headlines. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. Up next, The Black Widow. But first, a quick break. Think you have all the horrifying entertainment you'll ever need? Well, if you don't have AMC Shudder, you're dead wrong. Shudder has new spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense added every single week and streaming 24-7 ad-free. Plus, they have a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits that you will only find on Shudder. Have you been trying to find that Nicolas Cage movie, Mandy? I was. Guess where I found it? 
Shudder. Up next on my list, Lizzie, the psychological thriller based on the infamous 1892 massacre of the Borden family and of the documentary Until the Light Takes Us, which explores the Norwegian black metal scene in the 90s that developed into a wave of suicides, murders, and the burning of churches. This is the Netflix of horror. Start streaming killer movies, seriously scary TV series, and diabolical documentaries for just $5.99 a month. And now, Murder Minute listeners can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use our promo code MM. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com. Promo code M-M. If you've been hunting for a natural deodorant that actually works, look no further. Go Native. Native is made in the USA using natural ingredients that you can actually recognize, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. Native comes in a variety of subtle fragrances for both men and women, like their popular coconut and vanilla, eucalyptus and mint, and my personal favorite, lavender and rose. And if you don't want to smell like a botanical garden like I do, Native also offers an unscented formula and a baking soda-free formula for those with extra sensitivities. Native never uses aluminum, parabens, talc, or sulfates in any of their products. And there's no animal testing, so it's not just better for your body, it's better for everybody. What are you waiting for? Get the deodorant that isn't a chemistry experiment. Go Native. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code MM during checkout. With free returns and exchanges in the USA, there's no risk to try. Go to nativedeodorant.com, promo code MM, at checkout. Hey. Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the chilling story of Stacy Castor, also known as the Black Widow. Stacy was born on July 24, 1967, in upstate New York. She was a stubborn and intelligent child, always asking why. And by the time she was a teenager, she decided that she wanted to be a paralegal or a lawyer. But in 1985, when Stacy was just 17, she met 23-year-old Mike Wallace. The two fell in love immediately, and Stacy and Mike married and had their first daughter, Ashley, in 1988. But Mike Wallace, described by everyone he knew as the life of the party, had a propensity for drinking and driving, so much so that he did a short stint in prison after repeated DUI offenses. After his release in 1991, the couple's second daughter, Bree, was born. Bree was the apple of Mike's eye, and Mike settled down after his release from jail. To support their growing family, Mike worked nights as a mechanic, while Stacy worked as an ambulance dispatcher during the day. Money was scarce, and their opposing work schedules made it difficult for the family to spend time together. But their daughters remember their childhood as a happy one. Time passed, and despite their closeness with their children, Stacy and Mike grew apart. And it was rumored that each was having affairs. 
By Thanksgiving of 1999, more than nine years after their marriage, Stacy told a friend that she was contemplating divorce. But with the holidays coming, Stacy decided to wait so that the girls could have one more Christmas as a happy family. But over December, Mike fell ill. He was unsteady, coughing, and appeared swollen. He was having a hard time walking and spending more and more time in bed. After Mike sat up one day and vomited across the coffee table, family members began encouraging Mike to go to the hospital. But on January 11th, 2000, 12-year-old Ashley Wallace came home from school to find her father laying on the couch making funny faces, and at one point, raising his arm and then pulling it back down to his side. Ashley turned on the TV, unaware that her father was dying on the couch in front of her. She then left to pick up her younger sister, Bree, from school, believing that her father was asleep on the couch. By the time Stacy got home and they got him to the hospital, it was too late. Mike Wallace was dead at just 38 years old. The doctors concluded that Mike had died of a heart attack. With no need for an autopsy, a week later, Mike Wallace was buried in a cemetery outside of Syracuse, New York. Ashley blamed herself for her father's death. After Mike's death, Stacy received $55,000 from his life insurance policy. Stacy paid his funeral expenses and took her daughters to Disney World. Now a single mother, Stacy worked long hours to support her family, often leaving the girls to take care of each other. In 2001, after two years of struggling alone to make ends meet, Stacy started dating again and met a recent divorcee named David Castor. David ran a successful family business installing heat and air conditioning systems, which he had started with his father. Unlike her hard-partying late husband, David was responsible, wasn't much of a drinker, and didn't go out at night. David Castor was Stacy's knight in shining armor, bringing safety and stability to the Wallace women's life. And in 2003, David and Stacy were married. Stacy quickly began managing the books for the now family business and worked as David's secretary. But now that David had more free time on his hands, David indulged himself in the toys of a grown man motorcycles, snowmobiles, and jet skis. Stacy was furious. To make matters worse, David didn't get along well with his two new stepdaughters, making it clear to them that he already had a son and didn't want to be a father to Stacy's children. However, after a couple of years, according to Ashley, by the time she graduated high school in June of 2005, things between the Wallace girls and their stepfather had begun to improve. 
But all that was cut short on Monday, August 22, 2005, when 911 dispatchers received a call from Stacy Castor. My husband has locked himself in our bedroom for the last day. He didn't show up to work this morning. She said to the operator, Stacy explained to police that she and her husband had gotten into a huge seven-hour fight that weekend over how to celebrate their upcoming two-year anniversary. David got upset, took a bottle of Southern Comfort, went into the bedroom and locked himself in, got drunk and wouldn't come out, Stacy explained. Stacy said that after David locked himself in his room, not wanting her daughters to be exposed to this, she sent Ashley and Bree to go and stay with friends for the weekend, and left herself as well. Stacy said that she was now worried that he may have hurt himself because she knew that David kept a shotgun under the bed. When deputies arrived, they kicked down the door and found David Castor naked, face down in a puddle of his own vomit on the bed. On the nightstand was a bottle of liquor, a bottle of cranberry juice, and a glass of antifreeze. David Castor was pronounced dead at the scene. Stacy Castor, widowed now for the second time in just a few short years, was hysterical, screaming, no, he's not dead, he's not dead. Stacy told police that she believed that David had been depressed because he'd recently lost his father. But the news that David had apparently committed suicide shocked friends and family. He wouldn't commit suicide, David's ex-wife Janice said. I knew him better than I knew myself. He wouldn't do that. In fact, no one who knew David Castor well believed that he would ever take his own life particularly in such a brutal and painful manner. Antifreeze can take as long as 72 hours to kill a person and is a slow and agonizing death. Why would David Castor commit suicide by drinking antifreeze when he had a shotgun right under his bed? Something didn't feel right to investigators, particularly Detective Dominic Spinelli. As they searched the house, Deputies found a turkey baster in the kitchen trash with traces of antifreeze in it. They bagged it and sent it to the lab for testing. Then, David's body went to the county coroner for an autopsy, who, by discovering the presence of crystals indicative of poisoning from ethylene glycol, confirmed that his death was caused by ingestion of antifreeze. Within a week, Stacy Castor had her second husband buried next to her first. David's will named Stacy as executor and sole heir, which came as a shock to David's son and ex-wife. He didn't even mention my name, said David Castor Jr. That hurt. Then Stacy quickly sold off the Castor family business for almost $200,000. Stacy wasted no time and immediately began spending the money, using it to renovate the family home. What Stacy didn't realize was that while David Castor's death had been initially ruled a suicide, the county sheriff's department 
was still investigating the case. Along with the turkey baster, the other pieces of evidence were the two glasses on David Castor's nightstand. Police had them dusted for fingerprints. The one with the antifreeze had three fingerprints on it, all of them Stacy Castor's. The turkey baster showed traces of David's DNA on the tip, as well as ethylene glycol. Investigators were now certain that Stacy Castor must have drugged David and then used the turkey baster to squirt the antifreeze down his throat while he was passed out. Detective Spinelli began looking into the death of Stacy's first husband, Mike Wallace. When they saw that Stacy's first husband had also died suddenly and was buried without an autopsy, investigators made a bold and controversial decision. They decided to have the body of Mike Wallace exhumed. But because he had died in a different county, it took almost a year to get permission. Stacy had no idea that she was being investigated. When the body was exhumed and sent for autopsy on September 5th, 2007, they quickly determined that Mike Wallace's cause of death was not a heart attack. The body was full of crystals, just like David Castor. Mike Wallace had also been poisoned with antifreeze. In September of 2007, investigators tapped Stacy's phones and brought her in for questioning, but did not reveal that they had exhumed Mike Wallace's body or what they had discovered, saying that they were simply trying to finalize the investigation. During questioning, Stacy quickly sensed what she was suspected of. In the middle of this interview, she asked for a lawyer, recalled investigator Michael Norton, but not before she made a couple of mistakes. Stacy mentioned watching a television show where a woman had killed two of her husbands with antifreeze, suggesting that this was probably where her husband got the idea. When detectives asked Stacy, do you remember which glass it was that you poured the cranberry juice in? She responded, well, when I poured in the antifree, Stacy quickly corrected, I mean, I mean the cranberry juice. Detective Spinelli noticed and asked her about it. Stacy became angry, accusing the detective of trying to frame her. Police released Stacy without charging her, though they were still listening in on her phone calls 24 hours a day. While they didn't get anything that implicated her on their wiretaps, a week later, they intercepted a 911 call that shocked investigators. My daughter has taken some pills. It sounds like there's something in her throat. Ashley, oh my God, oh my God. As word of the call reached the detectives, they immediately feared that they were about to have a third victim on their hands. Investigator Valerie Brogan said in an interview that her first reaction was, that monster, she tried to kill her own daughter. Bree Wallace had found her sister barely breathing and yelled to her mother to call 911. When EMTs arrived, 
20-year-old Ashley was unresponsive and appeared unlikely to survive the trip to the hospital. When detectives arrived yet again at the Castor home, they found an empty bottle of vodka, several empty pill bottles, and a typed suicide note that had been printed out and found next to Ashley in her bed. According to the note, Ashley confessed to murdering her father and then murdering David. But Ashley's apparent suicide attempt failed because Ashley miraculously regained consciousness the following day, confused and besieged with questions from police that made no sense to her. All I could see was this man in a red shirt kind of yelling, Ashley later told interviewers. And he goes, what did you drink? What did you take? What did you write in that note? And I was like, what are you talking about? Ashley's sister Bree waited for their mother to leave the room and told her what happened. Ashley said, I did not kill my father. I did not kill my stepdad. And I did not try to kill myself. Laying in her hospital bed, Ashley told investigators that the last thing that she remembered was having drinks with her mother on Thursday afternoon. After Stacy found out that Ashley had learned of her father's body being exhumed and that police suspected that both her father and stepfather were murdered, Stacy told her distressed daughter, we've had a hard week. Let's just go and get drunk. Stacy made the drinks, vodka and Sprite. I told her that it tasted bad, Ashley said, and she's like, well, just drink another sip. I took another sip and I was like, this is still gross. Stacy Castor had attempted to murder and frame her own daughter. Police walked outside to find Stacy in the hospital parking lot having a cigarette. They told her to put it out and arrested her on the spot. Stacy Castor's trial began on January 13, 2009, for the murder of David Castor and the attempted murder of her daughter Ashley, as well as falsifying her late husband's will. Unbelievably, Stacy Castor's defense stuck to her story that Ashley had been the murderer and confessed in her suicide note. Stacy Castor's defense team, attorneys Charles Keller and Todd Smith, wanted to poke holes in Ashley's version of what happened and prove that she could have been capable of murdering her own father with antifreeze at just age 12. They noted that Ashley's father, Mike Wallace, showed favoritism toward his younger daughter, Bree, and cited jealousy as a possible motive for Ashley murdering him. For her stepfather, they noted that he and Ashley didn't get along with each other. Stacy Castor suggested that her daughter might be mentally ill. Prosecutors argued that Ashley showed no signs of mental illness and that the computer-generated suicide note where Ashley confesses to killing her father and stepfather had actually been written by her mother, Stacy Castor. Having searched Stacy's computer, detectives found several drafts of the suicide note that Ashley was accused of writing. 
Forensic investigators found that based on the timestamps, it had been written while Ashley was in school, proving that she could not have been its author. The prosecution pointed out another key detail about the note. The word antifreeze had been misspelled as antifree in four places. Stacy Castor had also said antifree during interviews with detectives. As if this weren't enough, the wiretap record showed that Stacy Castor had been home that day, and on one of her calls as she spoke to a friend, the sound of Stacy Castor typing on the computer was clearly audible on the recording. On February 5th, 2009, Stacy Castor was found guilty on all three counts. Stacy's mother, Judy, couldn't believe that her daughter was guilty. They were blaming Stacy for this, she said. I kind of went hysterical. I couldn't believe Stacy had it in her. To kill two men, especially men she was supposed to love, I don't believe Stacy did it. She would not frame Ashley. On March 5, 2009, at Stacy Castro's sentencing, the district attorney asked the judge that Stacy Castor receive maximum consecutive sentences because of the brutality of her crimes, saying, she is cold, calculating, and without any emotion for what she has done. Human life is sacred. Stacy Castor places no value on human life, not even her own flesh and blood. To Stacy Castor, human beings are disposable. David Castor's son pleaded with Judge Fahey for Castor to be severely punished. Your Honor, she's a monster and a threat to society. Finally, Ashley addressed her mother, saying, I never knew what hate was until now. Even though I do hate her, I still love her at the same time. That bothers me. It's also confusing. How can you hate someone and love them at the same time? I just wish that she would say sorry for everything she did, including all the lies. As horrible as it makes me feel, this is goodbye, Mom. As hard as you tried, I survived, and I will survive because now I'm surrounded by people that love me. I'm going to do good things in this world despite making me, in every sense of the word, an orphan. Before sentencing her to over 50 years in prison, Judge Joseph Fahey said that he had never seen a parent attempt to murder their own child in order to set them up for a crime that they had themselves committed. In my 34 years in the criminal justice system as a lawyer and a judge, I have seen serial killers, contract killers, killers of every variety and stripe. But I have to say, Mrs. Castor, you are in a class all by yourself. Stacy Castor was sentenced to 25 years to life for the murder of David Castor and another 25 years for the attempted murder of her daughter, Ashley. For forging David Castor's will, Castor was ordered to serve an additional four years. In February of 2010, District Attorney William Fitzpatrick confirmed that his office 
was investigating the circumstances surrounding the 2002 death of Stacy Castor's own father, Jerry Daniels. Family members told investigators that Stacy had visited her father in the hospital where he was recuperating from respiratory problems. She brought her father an open soda for him to drink. And though he had seemed to be getting better, he died suddenly the following day. Charges were never brought against Stacy Castor for the murder of her father or for her first husband, Mike Wallace, as on June 11, 2016, it no longer mattered. Stacy Castor died of a heart attack at age 48 while imprisoned at New York's Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.